0: Welcome to episode 57 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, hosted through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at Season 3, Episode 6, Too Shy. IMDb user score is 7.4 out of 10. It marks the series' first trip to Ohio, and it originally aired on November 3rd, 1995. The basic outline is that there's a fat-sucking vampire who looks normal in the final draft, although in earlier drafts he was a butcher or various other forms. He isn't normal. He does need to prey on fat of others to survive, and he specifically targets prey by looking for larger women through personal ads, originally in print and eventually moving online, and sort of playing into the role that they were hoping for. You know, the seemingly great guy who accepts them for who they are, and so forth. His attacks involve covering their mouths and noses with a thick and strong stomach acid, and eating their fat as they're digested. Now, this is an episode That was written by story editor Jeffrey Vlaming. This is his first of two episodes scripted for The X-Files. It's also one of the final episodes directed by David Nutter. And David Nutter's directorial touch comes through quite strongly in a few cases, including in the original attack. When he leans in to kiss his victim, she starts squirming. We know something's wrong. He pulls back and Nutter chooses to pull back on the face of the attacker with just a little bit of goops trailing off his lip before showing you the victim. And I think that choice has a lot more impact than just pulling back and showing the victim with things over her mouth. There's a lot of nutter's distinctive touches in here. And it'll be sad to see him go in just a few short weeks. He only has two episodes left, and that's the upcoming two-parter. But we'll get to that later. So with this serial killer targeting the large women, Muller and Scully slowly narrow in on him using traditional police methods, such as following the leads through the victims, running credit card purchases, finding out who else he's spoken to having officers canvass, people in the area who fit a description of someone who could have access to the obscure poetry that he's quoting in his letters. And in the course of the investigation, there are other victims and some officers die. And some of these victims are not his normal modus operandi because the FBI are closing in, which forces him to change his methods and go desperate when his warnings cause one of his intended victims to stand him up. So the monster is played by Timothy Carhartt, who's probably best known for playing Harlan Thumb on Louise, playing Lieutenant Commander Christopher Hobson in Star Trek The Next Generation, playing Bill Rayburn in 24, and Bill Steiner in The Hunt for Red October, but for me, he'll always be the violinist that Dana Barrett was on her way to dinner with in Ghostbusters when Pete Venkman interrupted the date at the fountain outside and told Dana that she's the best one in her row, told this violinist that, you know, he's glad you're feeling better, sir, still looking very pale though. That's who I see every time I see Timothy Carhart, even though he does a very good job in this. Now, his final intended victim is played by Catherine Paolone, which I may be mispronouncing. It's P-A-O-L-O-N-E. She's best known for The Ring, Ready to Rumble, Hanging Up, and more. Now, while this is a well-constructed Monster of the Week episode, one of the things I do like is that they took the time to address casual sexism in the workplace, which 20 years later is still a problem, even though... It shouldn't have been a problem for several decades up to this point, if not centuries. We get a little hint of it initially when Scully interacts with Detective Alan Cross, who's played by James Handy, known for Jumanji, Breakable, Rocketeer, Arachnophobia, and a bunch of others. Now, Detective Cross is an old-fashioned detective, so when Scully comes in for the autopsy, he says, oh, well, the doctor didn't tell me that he'd be observing the autopsy, and Scully says, no, I'll be performing it. And then Dr. Cross says, well, you know, it's not sexism. He's just old-fashioned, and he doesn't think that women should be on this case. You know, the fact that he's targeting women, it's got to bias your judgment, doesn't it? And Scully's character handles it very well, pointing out that, yeah, she is a medically trained doctor. She is fully capable and completely qualified to conduct this autopsy. When he keeps going, she shuts him down by completely disregarding it and saying, where do you want the autopsy report sent? So she just changes the subject in a way that says, I'm doing this. Just tell me where you want the results. Unfortunately, some of that is undermined a little bit by Hollywood casting to a degree. As I said, our monster specifically targets large women, and the large women that they've got here—they're not particularly large. I mean, they are above average in size. There's no question about that. But they could still walk into your regular store and do their clothes shopping, right? They're—they're they're large, but they're not huge. So you know, the Hollywood casting of what constitutes a very large woman tends to show through in that. And actually, the Attention to sexism is enough of an issue in this story that near the end, when Mulder and Scully find an intended victim and they see a figure fleeing from the scene, Scully stays behind with the victim and Mulder gives chase. That's very common. It's natural to leave the medical doctor behind to care for the victim while the more experienced field agent gives chase. That's the way it should be, but it just feels so wrong to have the woman stay behind and the man give chase in this scene. That's why I found it particularly rewarding when we learn that the suspect that Mulder is chasing is just a guy with a spray paint can. He's doing graffiti and got caught, while the attacker, the monster, is still back in the apartment with Dana Scully and the intended victim, and he attacks Scully from behind the shower curtain when she's looking for a first aid kit, and she handles herself nicely. She's clearly got combat training from the FBI. We've already seen this guy's got fairly high pain tolerance, which is why he's able to keep coming, and Scully's saved not by returning Mulder, but by this man's intended victim, who happens to be armed and gets off a non fatal gunshot wound to the chest. Just to point out some other members of the cast, the final victim's friend, Joanne, is played by Carrie Sendemirski, who was previously in Roland back in season one as Roland's love interest. Aloka McLean is the blind daughter of the monster's landlady. This is her third of six total credits. The only other one that's recognizable, at least to those of us who grew up in Canada, would be Are You Afraid of the Dark? and she was in one episode of that. The landlady herself was played by Glennis Davies in her third X-Files appearance, following Tombs and Irresistible. She's also been in Disturbing Behavior, Outer Limits, Smallville, John Doe, but is possibly best known as Marianne Wallace in Stargate Universe. Another repeat X-Files alum is William McDonald, who plays Agent Kazanjian in his third of five appearances as five different characters. Previously appeared in Fallen Angel and the Host, and we'll see him coming up again in seasons four and six. Overall, This is an enjoyable one-off episode, but it's got little or no contribution to the larger story. Written by story editor Jeffrey Vlaming, it does say something and it's getting that message across about the sexism in the workplace. So that is a very nice touch that I honestly didn't pick up on the first time, partly because I wasn't in the workforce yet or just barely was by about a month when this first aired. So overall it is an enjoyable one-off episode that's got little or no contribution to the ongoing continuity. Although it is very nice to see them focusing and addressing the sexism issues. When story editor Jeffrey Vlaming is the writer, he's able to bring some of that in. And that's something that Chris Carter wanted. He didn't just want to scare you, he wanted to say something while he was scaring you. And this is a good example of that. So in any event, join us again in two weeks and every two weeks thereafter. If you haven't heard the results of the vote, the X-Files Retrospective Podcast will continue while the Silver Screen Superheroes Podcast we'll have a guest host. So I'll still be on this month's wrapping up the current X-Men film coverage. Then we've got a rerun from a different feed of our podcast as we go through the first change Mutant Ninja Turtles film before Alexander Case takes over the next few episodes of Silver Screen Superheroes while I keep the X-Files show running on schedule. So please feel free to rate this and any other show you listen to on iTunes, on Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help the shows get noticed. Share the links with friends of yours who you feel may enjoy it. And finally, thank you for listening. Intro and outro music is Outside Poolside by Laswell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content copyright 2015, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments or feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening.